and then we're going to get into the scriptures, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll move along. So, Heavenly Father, we do uh, lift up uh, the Katadze family and uh, the, the one-two punch this week. And Lord, we just pray that you would um, give Yao uh, grace and, and patience as he's uh, dealing with a difficult situation on both his employment and family sides. Lord, we pray for the family in Ghana. And I don't know how many relatives are there and all the, the details of that, uh, Lord, but with small children and everything else going on. Lord, we, lit, we pray for Russ Payne's family um, at Hillsborough. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will continue to protect them, keep them um, testing negative. And um, Lord, I pray that you would open an opportunity for Russ to be able to see uh, his wife, to be able to go and visit her. Um, Lord, that the restrictions would be... Um, would be set, the guidelines be set in such a way that that um, can happen. I know that that's not just him. It's, it's a case um, across the country of people in long-term care facilities, unable to, their family not able to see them. Lord, for all those that are having, uh, having children, and I know that, um, that uh, at least Nick was able to be in with Danielle, but, but the rest of the family wasn't able to see the baby until she came home. Lord, we pray that you give the hospitals wisdom, uh, those uh, of our uh, those of our congregation who are working as nurses and doctors and, um, and hospital technicians and employees and support in so many different ways that they're involved. Lord, um, we thank you for those who are able to maintain their jobs. Lord, we thank you for the, the good indicators of, of employment coming out this week. Um, Lord, we pray that we will continue this recovery, that it will, um, you will superintend it supernaturally and we will um, be restored to uh, the new normal uh, quicker than everybody expects. Lord, lift up our families and our, our, our gatherings together um, as a congregation, Lord, that we might glorify you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. So I want to I take a moment today. Um, we're, we're in the book of Philippians, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, um, beginning in verse 12. Um, and I want to um, I want to I share some thoughts. Uh, I'm not going to get I'm not going to get into the, the politics and the craziness of what's been going on, um, but never, I, I never anticipated when I joked around that on January, on January 1st, 2021, we were going to have a hindsight is 2020 party. Um, I, I never thought when I joked around that I might actually be planning that party um, because, frankly, I can't wait for 2020 to be gone. Um, this has been quite a year. Um, but uh, we have to remember that what we are we're living in, all right, the crisis that we're facing um, is precisely a crisis because of the blessings that we have. Um, the, the world that we live in today, in terms of technology and medicine and government and infrastructure, has, gets through things like this without too much of an inconvenience. Yeah, it was weird when nobody could get toilet paper. Um, it was odd to watch, uh, to watch farmers be dumping milk. Um, it's, it's strange and a little bit eerie and a little bizarre to see people in tactical gear on the streets of, of the cities of the country. But you have to remember that these things are anomalies because of the extraordinary blessings we have as a society and as a culture. Um, uh, you know, it, it's very different. Um, most of human history has been very different uh, from what we've been through. And the Roman world was no different than that. Now, we're going to get into this passage, but I just want you to understand the world, real quick, that the Christians in Philippi lived in. To be a Christian 
in the late Julio-Claudian era of the Roman world was to be a non-person. Because you weren't a Gentile anymore, but you also weren't a Jew. And Jews had special protections that they didn't want extended to the Christians. They were exempt from a lot of taxes. Um, they, they, had, they, had, they, they just had a, a bunch of different rules because, be, long story short, because they, they had really helped um, Julius Caesar come to power and so he had granted them a lot of uh, freedoms that other people in the kingdom didn't have. Um, and the Jews believed that if you were accepting somebody as your Messiah, you were no longer a part of their group. And so Jewish believers were kind of exiled from uh, their, their Jewish roots and all the privileges of that. But then Gentile believers, who most of the Philippians were, um, they were kind of put in kind of a nether space of life, where they, they were kind of non-persons. Because what were they? They weren't observing the Roman cults. They weren't worshiping the Roman gods. That meant that they were pretty much excluded from the social life of their society. You have to understand that in those days, religion was not separated from everyday life the way that it is today. One, one of the reasons I think that the, the, the governors of all the states have been so slow to address the, the church in their decisions is because people view religion as something that you do on Sunday and everybody, you know, some people do it and some people don't do it. And it's kind of a casual thing and, and it's not that significant. It's not that important. We can deal with that last. You know, we can deal with that at, right after we deal with, you know, all the other more important parts of the economy. Because churches don't add to the economy. They don't, you know, there's all these things. So, so it's kind of been pushed to the side. And it's kind of a thing people do, but they don't really need it. You know, that's kind of how society views faith and, and, and religion. It's, it's not that important. In the ancient world, um, religions functioned much more the way that Islam functions. Now, now, we don't like to use Islam as an example because we tend to think of Islam as being very extreme, but, but think about how deeply integrated Islam is into the lives of every Muslim. Right? They, they, every day they do their prayers. Every day they, 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 they have their pillars that they have to observe. It is their life. It's one of the reasons why you can't take a Muslim country and just hand them democracy, Western democracy, and say, you're all free. Islam means... Submission. You can't just do that. They, they don't have the framework for it. They have to understand it. It takes a long time to learn it, um, to learn to have kind of our way of individual determinism. But if you look at Islam and the way that it is so deeply integrated into life, that's very much the way Roman religions were. That's the way that Judaism was. That's the way that ancient religions were in, the old, in that world. It was not something you just did on Sunday. Every day had a religious significance to it. And so when you got up in the morning, you, you, you lit some incense at the family altar. That's what you did. And if you walked by a temple, you had to, you had to make an offering. And if, if a holy beggar came and, and, and asked you for something, there, there were rules to Roman society. Well, when Christians threw away the relationship to the Roman deities, and most importantly, when Christians refused to call, the, the, um, to worship the genus um, or the, the genius, the the entity of the emperor, it put them in a very bizarre position. And so when we look at kind of our world and we look at Philippians here, we're going to see a lot of similarities. So here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, my friends, my, my deepest acquaintances, 
As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I want you to understand what he's talking about here when he talks about salvation. Um, let me ask you a question. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He's, he's in prison. Now, he's probably in house imprisonment, um, but he is every day being dragged to the Palatine Hill to see whether Nero is going to hear his, his case or not. Um, he, is, he is restricted, and he earlier in the book of Philippians asks the people to pray for his salvation, that he is in bonds. And when he says this, he's not necessarily talking about your salvation as in you're saved, you go to heaven, but rather your freedom from um, the bonds of this world. Now, he's, he's got a lot in focus, but he says, if you're willing to work out your relationship, your salvation, with, you better do it with fear and trembling. If you think you can do it on your own, if you, can, if you think you can just um, make up your faith, you better be ready. You, better, you think you can just pretend that things are the way that you want them to be. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do, and to work for his good pleasure. Now remember, Paul is imprisoned. So when he says, when it is God's to work in you, both to will and to do, and to work for his good pleasure, then that means that Paul, in prison, he is there for God to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul is okay with his situation because God, he trusts God, is doing things in his life. Now, if you're a Philippian believer and you're operating outside of the restrictions of being a Roman citizen and everybody's noticing when you don't offer incense to the family gods, when you enter your workplace and you don't, you don't um, say a silent prayer to the genus of, of the emperor, Right? When you, when you uh, walk by a temple and you're not buying the meat from the temple because it's been offered to false gods and you've got your own cow to slaughter, you don't need that meat. All right? when, when you're gathering, they're gra gathering on, on Saturday night, early in the, in the morning on Sunday, really, and they're gathering for their worship services and they're, and they're singing these songs that nobody knows. And these homes, the homes of, of the Philippian believers, these churches, are... are are lit up at a time when Romans don't light up houses and they're singing songs that nobody knows and they're talking about a Christos, a, 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 a God that no one worships, they're under a lot of pressure. Are they going to be imprisoned or are they going to be free? Are they going to be um, experience salvation in Christ that is, he is doing will and to work for their good pleasure? Then he says to them, it gives them a list of things. Now, this is, this is a great list that parents use with kids, but it's not really what that's about. First, verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, he's not talking about doing all the things you want to do. Because nobody grumbles about the things you want to do. Right? Except working out. Everybody grumbles about that. But... Um, but uh, you, do, you don't grumble and dispute and complain about the things that you want to do. What do you grumble and dispute and complain about? The things you don't want to do. And Paul is saying, hey, you're going to have to do things you don't want to do 
If you're to live a, a worthy life in a world where you're a non-person, where everybody's watching you, guess what? You're going to have to do things you don't like, and you're going to have to do them without grumbling and complaining. Now, granted, he's never had to deal with Windows 10, <laughs> but it still applies, all right? You do things without grumbling. Doing all these things, it means doing the things that are visible, that are public, because, like I talked about last week, the only Christ that most people in the world will see is you. And so, if, you, if, you, if people see you grumbling and complaining, they assume that that's what Christians do. That's what Christ calls them to do. And he follows on, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent. Now, remember... What I, what I just said. These are the things that we don't want to do so that people see us. So therefore, when he talks about being blameless and innocent, is he talking about us actually being like, like spiritually blameless and innocent, like perfect, blameless, bl unblemished people? No, we know that that's not the case. But when people look at us, are we without flaw and transparent so that as we do things, people see Christ? Now, Paul is setting an ideal. Again, he didn't have to wheel Windows 10. He didn't have to drive with Massachusetts people. All right? So he, we are facing challenges he didn't face, but I think he's okay with the, giving us that advice. But Massachusetts, I, I got to tell you guys, how many of you have ever, how many of you have driven recently in the parking lot where the Guitar Center is in Nashua, where Trader Joe's and everything? I don't know what happened, but nobody, is following the rules in that parking lot. I don't know if it's like there was an agreement that was passed. I was sitting waiting. My wife and daughter were in Guitar Center looking at, at bongos because, you know, DeVitro's. And, um, and we were there, and I had both the dogs in my car, so I was trying to distract myself from the yapping and the panting and the whining and the crying. Um, and, uh, and because the windows didn't go down, because uh, this is another side tangent, but What's with the new keyless cars? If the key is out of the car, you can't bring the window down. Have you noticed this? My wife left. She had the key in her pocket. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> right? And I can't, I can't bring the window down. <laughs> the dogs are dying, but I'm dying. Anyway, so I was passing time watching people drive. And I swear to you, I have no idea where these people learned to drive. They were going, they were going the wrong way on the wrong side of the road. They were driving down the, like, parking lines, like the, you know, where the parking spaces, they're driving right down the middle of them, like they were, they were, um, people, people pulling through handicapped spots, and then, like, somebody trying to pull into the handicapped spot, and so, rather than, rather than back out of the spot that they're not supposed to be in, I watched somebody actually inch around the person trying to pull in the handicapped spot so they could go on the wrong side of the road. I'm, I'm sitting there going, people's brains have fallen out. And so it was really, really hard for me at that point um, to not grumble and complain and not whine. Well, I couldn't wind the window down, so that was safe. Um, but yell at people saying, go back to school. My daughter's going to driving lessons. You should go too. Right? Um, but to drive, to, to, to be blameless and innocent, children of God. And here's where it's so important. He says, without blemish, in other words, to be transparent, a perfect glass, to, to see through. Um, I don't know about any of you, but I have this thing. I, my, my glasses, I chip glasses the second I get them. For some reason, I just cannot keep glasses in. And that's one of the reasons I own like these. These cost like $10, I think. 
um, because I figured, what's the point? I'm just going to break them anyway. I might as well just buy cheap glasses and, and just, you know. Um, but that, that idea of without blemish, it means that, that you look through and what they see is what they get. There's no warping. There's no um, bending. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, I shared this on Facebook last week, uh, and I, I talked a little bit about it, but this, what Paul is doing, now Paul is infamous for mixing metaphors, so just, you just got to get used to it. Um, so he says, you're, bla- you're blameless, you're, you're flawless, and then he says, because we live in a crooked and twisted generation. Now, he's not talking about the sin of the people. It's important that you understand what he's talking about. He's not talking about people who are sinners, so they're twisted and broken. But rather, he's describing a situation. Um, and if you think of, if you've ever been out on the ocean, all right? Um, now, today we have all these GPSs and navigation and radar and all this stuff, navigational charts. But if you're ever out on water when suddenly the fog covers up everything and you can't see anything, no matter how hard you try, you will not navigate in a straight line. All right? you, you, will, you got your oars and you're sitting there going, oh, I think I got to go left, I think I got to go right. I mean, I, I, I don't really understand the concept why your back is to wherever you're going when you're rowing a boat anyway. Um, but but you, you're, you're all over the place, you're, you're deviating, and no matter how hard you try, you wind up not where you intended to be. All right? you, you, it's, it's just how it is. It's so disorienting. Well, in a world where you navigate by the stars... If you don't know where the stars are, if you, don't, you can't see the stars, and you're just relying on the currents. And, and Leo, who's a, a, what's your official certification as a sailor? You're, all right, he's an advanced pilot, right? So Leo, Leo will tell you that currents, they tend to kind of do this. You can get caught. A lifeguard will tell you that there's rip currents and there's backward currents and the wind's blowing and things are moving. When you're in a boat and you've got no way to navigate, you're twisted. You're going to wind up all over the place. You're going to wind up in every possible direction. And Paul describes the generation he lives in and says, look, he says, they're, they're chartless, starless. They have no helmsman. Their navigation is blown. They're being blown about by every wind. He says, and you, as Christians, are supposed to be blameless and innocent and shining as lights in the world, literally stars in the sky. Because if a navigator can see one star he recognizes, he can figure out everything else he needs to go in a straight line and get to the right direction. If a navigator can take one reading, why? Why can you navigate by the stars? Because they are consistent, they are reliable, and if you can see them, they will always take you where you need to go. I learned that lesson from Moana. Um, some of you think about that. Now, the, the reality is you can navigate from the stars. You can, if you can find the North Star, if you can find certain navigating stars, you can follow them. Now, if you mistake a planet for a star, you're going to be in trouble. Um, you mistake Venus for Polaris, you, you're going to wind up going the wrong direction because planet means wanderer. There's a reason. Um, but, th- but once you see those stars, but you know what? The stars would be useless for navigation. 
if they changed whenever the wind blew, if they weren't so distant and consistent, constant and reliable. And Paul says, you live in a world where people are desperate for a solid, consistent navigational guide. And you are called to be stars. So be blameless. Be committed to what you are as a star. You are a guide as a star. You are not, and Christians, you need to understand this, you are not responsible for all the social ills of the world. Our job as the church is not to walk around trying to fix every problem that crops up. Our job as the church is to point people to Christ, to be stars. Stars don't come down and go, you need to go left. Go left, go left. I no, recognize I'm pointing right. That's why I don't navigate. All right? Go left, go left. That's not how it works. The navigator has to see the star and trust the star. And you know what, and, and I use this example, and I got, I got all kinds of interesting conversations this week when I, I mentioned, I, I quoted Martin Niemöller, um, who is the guy that's infamous for saying that um, he never actually said this, but, but he said they came for the communists, we didn't say anything, they came for the Nazis, or they came for the Jews, we didn't say anything. When they came for us, there was nobody left to say anything. Um, that's an infamous quote, it's a legendary quote, it's in the Holocaust museums and all kinds of stuff. He actually said something very similar. Um, but Niemöller was actually, he was a... Um, he was a Nazi sympathizer early on um, and then realized where the Nazis were going. And so he left, he joined the confessional church, um, but he still stayed quiet about the injustices because he thought, he argued, um, and the same argument was actually used um, in the, the 70s and early 80s by the current pope um, in Argentina who said the best the best response would just to not say anything so that that way we can stay in the public eye, we can keep speaking if we don't address it. And Niemöller actually wrote a thing called the Confession of Guilt um, where he, he confessed his guilt in the, what the Nazis had done. And everybody reads that. It's funny because I posted on Facebook and everybody thought, well, what are we guilty of? We're not guilty of racial segregation. We're not guilty of inciting riots. We're not guilty... Christians aren't guilty of those things. We, not all of us, most of us are not involved in those things. Now, if you're guilty of those things, you need to repent of them. What we are guilty of is not being shining lights in the midst of chaos. If we are guilty of being silent, when the gospel can address a situation, you want to know how to get racial reconciliation in America? Focus on Christ being the savior of mankind, focus on the reality that when we look at Christ, all the things that we use as racial, racial criteria are nonsense. And turn the focus to Christ. You say, well, that won't fix any real problems. Hopefully it'll call people to Christ, and I think that fixes problems. I could be wrong, but, but I, I think that if we keep our focus on Christ, if we speak Christ then we are stars. Because the world needs us to be consistent, bright, light that they can navigate according to. And unfortunately, so often, the church is so consumed with being in the spotlight that they're not willing to be the starlight. 
You know what? When a spotlight is shining, you can't see the stars. And I know this because right now I can't see your faces because there's a spotlight shining in my face. We are not called to make the show. We're called to be the star. Not, not a star as the way that we describe stars. But when somebody is wandering and lost in the world, where did they look for the voice of consistency, reason, and truth? And ask yourself this honest question. Do people think they can trust the church to be that guide? Not Bedford Road, the church, Big C. Is that the place where people turn to, for stars to navigate by? Or do the vast majority of people think, like I mentioned at the beginning, that the church is just a thing that people do on Sunday, it's not that big of a deal, it doesn't really have any impact on who they are? So we are called to be stars. We're called to be navigational waypoints. And it's a funny thing, and I'll just leave you with this. Paul uses this image so well. You know that to follow a star is not to get to the star. It's to get to your destination. You never get to the star. You use the star to get to the destination. Because the star's purpose and I believe, and I know I'm going to sound wacky, but in Genesis chapter 1, the, apostle, uh, uh, the, the scripture of Genesis says that stars were given to us as signs. I believe that God put the stars in the sky to direct people, to guide us to himself. And God put you in the constellation of the sky, of the world, of the people that you live around and interact with, be a star to take them somewhere not to you but to him verse 16 holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ how do you become a star right here holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain holding fast to the word of life how does a Christian be a star? You just hold fast to Christ. You shine his light, and you call people to follow him. You say, well, they won't listen. They won't follow me. They don't care. That's not your concern. Our faith is not determined by whether people listen or not. Our faith is not determined by whether the world likes us or not. Our faith is determined by us being the light of Christ shining in the world. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, help us to shine, to be lights. All of us are called to different roles in different places in the, in the starscape. Some are, are suns, and some are burning bright, and some burn short, and some burn long, some burn red, some burn white. But Lord, in all these ways that we might show you, manifest you in all that we do, how we live, 
how we journey, how we worship. That when, when those who do not know you come into the, the assembly of this congregation, what they, what they see is the praise of Christ. And they're, they're called and drawn to you and not to us. And Lord, as we minister in our world, as we, as we minister in, in situations where there are racial tensions and economic concerns and political arguments, Lord, that we might first and foremost shine forth your word, your truth, your life, your son. May you be glorified in all we do and say. We pray this in Jesus' name.